Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths about the power of the gospel. One commentator put it this way, listen to me. The apostasy of some should not weaken any man's faith, but rather terrify him from unbelief. When you see someone who you believe walks away from God, whether he is walking away from God, being saved, or just a mere professor, it should put fear in your heart and say, there go I but the grace of God and cause you to cling even more. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. All the way from politicians, down to bosses, co-workers, friends, and even family, it seems we're living in a time of half-truths and broken promises. Is there anyone you can trust? The answer to that question is next, when Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Hebrews for today's Simple Truths study titled, Jesus is superior to Joshua's rest. The author of Hebrews has used the example of Israel's unbelief to enter the promised land in order to warn these Hebrew Christians of their similar potential danger by rejecting Jesus Christ as their Messiah and failing to rest in the finished work of their salvation. The problem being the hardening of their hearts that led to disobedience and rebellion. Dying in the wilderness, as you know, in 38-year march, um, thereby warning these Hebrews in, of their similar peril. Hearts of unbelief, departing from the living God, being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's talked about that. It's a real warning. One author put it this way. Listen well. Neglectors easily become rejectors. The second division, which goes from chapter 4 here, verse 1 to 13, focuses on the admonition of these Hebrew Christians to enter into God's rest for their salvation, lest any of them fall according to the same example of disobedience. It's a parallel you cannot miss. You cannot wash it away. You just cannot explain it away. In fact, the key word, as you probably have picked up already, is the word rest. Eight times in chapter 4, twice in chapter 3. Rest. The entire second division can be summed up by two imperatives that we find. In verse 1, let us fear lest we fall short of entering into his rest. And then in verse 11, let us be diligent to enter into his rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Whichever way you want to cut this text, it's talking to Hebrew Christians. These two oratorical imperatives are tied together by the repeated thought of entering into God's rest. In verse 1, it says, entering his rest. Verse 5, shall not enter my rest. Verse 6, they did not enter my rest. Verse 9, there remains a rest for the people of God. Verse 10, he who has entered has ceased from his works. And so the argument is between verse 1 and 11 there. It comes to some conclusions. So what we want to do is look at the rest of Jesus, which um, provides the superior rest, uh, having the finished work compared to Joshua, and has laid out for us in three movements in verses 1 through 13. Let me read our text. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those 
who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested in the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disbelief or disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying to David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. But let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and the discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. Three movements lays it out for us. Verses 1 through 5, the proclamation for resting in the completed work of salvation. Verses 6 through 10, the explanation for resting in the completed work of salvation. And then verse 12 and 13, the exhortation to enter or for resting in the completed work of salvation. So you have the proclamation, the explanation, and the exhortation, and he lays it out. Let's begin here with the proclamation for resting in the completed work of salvation. Notice first, verse 1 through 5. First of all, in verse 1, the practical warning regarding unbelief. The usual statement appears. Therefore, there's the conclusion looking back to the example of unbelief of Israel, having received the word, but they had not accepted the revelation in the days of Moses. They refused it. Therefore, they should fear because they are in the state of unbelief by not believing God's revelation in these last days through the Son. So it's a parallel. This happened to them. This is where you're at. The warning, notice, regards the promise of entering into God's rest. First, it is an incredible proclamation of hope. I want you to see that first, okay? It's an admonition to fear. Seeing yourself in this position, fear and do something about it, implying that God is patient and merciful and good and the time is still there. You do that to your children. You say, you don't get your work done. You're not going to the show. You still got a half hour. <laughs> and it gets closer, and here he is doing nothing. You got 15 minutes. The rest of Moses spoke, as you know, the land of milk and honey, temporal, physical, material. They, in attempting to go back to Judaism, would, in effect, miss the promise. That's what he's saying. You know, you're, you're trying to grab the promise of Moses, but you've arrived at it, but you're going back. You're going to miss the promise. The rest of the son who spoke about the rest in himself, spiritual and eternal. There's the difference. Now notice the personal admonishment is, let us fear. The imperative is an errorist in the Greek, which means this. Let us get this fear. I love that. Let us get this fear. See, some people, they're in danger, and they don't know it. So they're, they're calm. They're sitting on the tracks. Train is coming. 
They don't notice it. Now, if they turn their head, they'll freak out. Let me give you a modern translation. The author says, in view of the fact what I've showed you, and in view of the fact that you understand the parallel, if I was you, I'd be freaking out. <laughs> you understand? This should grip them with fear. This is the proper response for failing to believe God, rebelling, and disobeying. Uh, Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs again 9, 10, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding, the very first step after that. Fear, fear. People have lost the fear of God in the church today. And they're deceiving themselves. I don't care whether you've made an altar call at a Somebody Loves You crusade, a Harvest crusade, or a Billy Graham crusade. That doesn't mean anything to me or to God. Are you entering into the rest of Jesus? The potential problem is clearly stated. Listen, lest any of you seem to come short of it, the promise of entering God's rest. That's the promise. It is an actual state they are in. It is a reminder of their personal responsibility by the phrase, come short, which means and has the idea of one's own fault. This is important, okay? Because everybody always wants to blame everybody, right? Today, we're in the philosophy. It's not your fault. We're all dysfunctional, right? It's our parents' fault, right? They didn't give you Twinkie money, right? Something like that, okay? But it's nothing new. In Jeremiah's day, they were saying, hey, listen, our parents ate sour grapes and our teeth are on edge. Jeremiah says, shut up. You're at fault. You're responsible. This is your baby. You can't blame the preacher. You can't blame the church. You can't blame the Lord. You can't blame the Word. You can't blame the Holy Spirit. You. No one else. In other words, beware lest you fall short of the idea here of being too late to enter the rest of God for their salvation by unbelief, like those of the wilderness. Remember they did? God says, that's it. 38-year march, you're going to die. Oh, no, no, we'll go up, we'll go up. And they start going and says, Moses, tell them not to go up, Mo. They're going to get killed. And the enemy come out, kill them. Too late, too late. You know, you make reservations for a plane. You get there too late. Guess what? You don't get on the plane. There's a schedule in God. Okay? Make sure you don't make the mistake they did, he's telling them. They at last said, oh, we'll go in. Too late. These Hebrews had endured some persecution, as you know, and lost some material goods. And so later on, he tells us that in chapter 10. But in Deuteronomy 27, 28, the Hebrew mind was, if we're persecuted, that means we're under God's judgment. So they were Hebrews. Their mind was hard to handle. Well, we better go back to the law. Keep the law. We must be under judgment. The New Testament says we're to expect persecution. And persecution purifies the church. A whole different mindset, you understand? Context, who's he speaking to? He doesn't sell this to the Gentiles because the Gentiles don't have this mindset. But the Hebrews here do, okay? In fact, later on in chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, he says there, uh, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both of reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. So in their Jewish mind, they're adding two and two, and it comes up four. But it's algebra, not addition. <laughs> that was the problem. Now notice secondly in verse 2. The personal parallel to those in the wilderness. Their accountability was due to the fact that they had heard the gospel preached as well as those in the wilderness. Uh, both had been delivered 
from Egypt, literally the first, and then us out of the world uh, type of Egypt, okay? And both had been delivered and redeemed by the blood, those by the lamb and us by the, that of Jesus Christ. He's already said that in chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 3, and many other places. He'll say much more in blood, literally, in the chapters to come. And the word gospel simply means the announcement of good news. God's word to them. It was announced to them. The physical rest of Canaan for Israel and the spiritual rest of the son and their salvation marked the greater privilege. So having the greater privilege, they had the greater judgment, right? If this happened to them, and that wasn't the ultimate rest, but this has happened to you, and it is the ultimate rest, then you have the final revelation. And if you have the final revelation, then you must have the final judgment. <laughs> Heavy. Their failure receiving the benefit of what was preached and promised was in fact that they did not mix it as they heard it. Mix it with what? Faith. Talking about those in the wilderness. They didn't do that. Faith is, must be biblical. It's based on the revelation of God. What God says, I believe to be true. I believe that he'll honor it. That's what biblical faith is. It's not just, I hope so, I know so, I really trust, I have this hunch. No, no, no. If I believe something, it has to be because God said he, he has done it and it's true. I don't know how to explain different things, but God says he spoke things into existence. Poof, that's it. I believe it. I believe it's true. I can't explain how because I'm not God, but it's true. I believe he says if I trust his son, I'll be saved. It's true. I believe him for that. And so faith to receive what is promised believes God for what he has promised and what he can do. I trust him. Those in the wilderness refuse to believe God. To enter that promise, allowing the giants and the walled cities to discourage them. And sometimes Christians get, allow the difficulties of life to discourage them. Oh, I'll just go back in the world. Huh? And they don't want to trust God for the difficulties of their life because they don't want to obey. If you obey God, you've got to face some facts. You've got to suck up some consequences. That isn't always favorable to us, huh? We'd rather skirt them. We'd rather explain them away. We'd rather accuse somebody else. But when you agree with God, then you, you take everything and say, I've, I've been at fault, and this is what I'm at, and God's grace will be sufficient, and I'm going to trust him for that. You understand? Notice thirdly in verse 3, the confirmation of the believer's faith. Um, the author once again includes himself. For we who have believed do enter that rest. And the word believe, as you know, means that which you think to be true, persuaded, faith united with what is being heard. The rest is regarding their salvation in Jesus, present tense. But the verb enter is linear action in the Greek, emphasizing the process of those who have believed. The believer enters and is in the process of entering into rest constantly. I am saved and I trust Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. Nothing else. And when things come to move me away from that, I'm recommitted to that rest. I rest in Jesus. Nothing but his blood. Nothing but his death. Nothing but his resurrection. Nothing but his righteousness. You understand? The quote, again, is from Psalm 95, verse 11 here. The same quote was in chapter 3, verse 11. The examples of disobedience. We see it down in verse 11 also of this chapter. The greater guilt lay in the fact that the work was finished from the foundation of the world. Notice that. 
I mean, it was done. The implied rest is regarding the work of creation. The next verse will say that specifically. God knew the end from the beginning, and he already made provisions for that good rest, both in Joshua's days as well as the last days for people to enter in. For him, it's no problem. He predestined us from the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the world, he says in Ephesians 1.5. For God has no problem, for you and I it is. And so, in verse 4, fourthly, he gives us the finished work of creation, and that is to teach them. They were Jews. They were Hebrews. The quote is Genesis 2.2. He created in six days, the seventh he rested. God rested, which means he desisted from his creative work because they were created complete and perfect according to their design. God didn't say, oh, the seventh day, oh, I forgot to start. I I forgot to put enough spin on on that planet. No. But though he, he ceased from his creative work, he did not cease from his involvement with the creation and the creature. He's eminent. He's involved. In fact, history can be best defined by putting a hyphen. His story. <laughs> it's all about him. Okay? He's involved. God help us if God wouldn't be involved in the world. So the salvation of man was finished. God had rested from the works of salvation, even as Jesus cried from the cross in John 19.30. It is finished. Here's the parallel. They were Jews. They knew that God created in six days. And the seventh, he just enjoyed it. They were to do the same. It's done. Now enjoy it. Huh. And yet God is still involved, calling men and women to salvation by faith through the preaching of the gospel. But he's not doing any more to finish the work. It's done. God is not attempting to do any new thing to add to it. It's done. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says, In him you are complete. In him dwells the sum total of deity. Nothing else. You're complete in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, My Father works till now, and I work. John 5, 17. So the work is done, but Jesus is still working through the Holy Spirit to draw people, to work in the people's life, the believer's life and everything. Give us wisdom, direction, knowledge, protection. But notice lastly here in verse 5, the repeated emphasis of Israel's past failure emphasizes the urgency of their position. The psalm again is Psalm 95, verse 11. This is the fourth time the oath of God is mentioned that they would not enter the promised land. Chapter 3, verse 11, chapter 318, 4, 3, and here. The context is the failure to rest in the promise of God to receive the blessing in Canaan to those of the past. Three times it says, my rest. It was God's rest. God had provided the protection and the provision, but they did not believe in faith. For God, it was nothing. They failed to believe. One commentator put it this way. Listen to him. The apostasy of some and the possibly the apostasy of mere professors should not weaken any man's faith, but rather terrify him from unbelief. When you see someone who you believe walks away from God, whether he is walking away from God being saved or just a mere professor, it should put fear in your heart and say, there go I but the grace of God. And cause you to cling 
even more. You know, it's like children, they're out there in the yard, let's say they're in a schoolyard, and, 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 they're, and they're at the edge or something, and there's really just like cord, there's no fence, and one of them gets out there, and, and maybe a bike comes by and hits him, and all the kids, they all run to the center of the yard. They fear, and they don't want to stay on the edge, they, they run away for safety. That's what it should do for us. It should draw me closer to the Lord. Unbelief in the finished work of Jesus for salvation is a refusal to accept his work by faith, what God has declared to be true and finish. And he holds man responsible for it. Every man. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the one we want to fear. Because give yourself 120 years if you last that long. God help us if we do. Eternity. That's who we should fear, the one who has eternity under control. Persecution and suffering at times is no excuse or even justification for our, um, our rejecting or becoming unbelieving or neglecting our faith. And some of you perhaps are young and you live at home and maybe your parents don't like you being a Christian because they think you've changed your religion then let me give you some counsel. You honor your parents. You love them. You respect them. You pray for them. You be the best Christian you can, but you don't turn your back on Christ. You do not turn your back on Christ, but you honor, love, and respect your parents. And if you have to curtail certain activities because you're under their rule until 18, fine, but you do not turn your back on Christ. Christ went to the cross for you. He's our example. He left us footsteps, 1 Peter 2.21, an example of suffering. The problem is with the heart of man, as you know. It's been mentioned already in chapter 3, verse 8, 10, and 13. Jesus, as you know, in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, spoke of the heart. The soil was the heart. The, the hard ground was by the wayside, and it, it didn't understand the gospel. It was snatched up. But then the stony ground, the heart that was compromising, not committed, and the persecution of the word turns away from God. The, the thorny ground was a heart that cared for the deceitfulness of the riches of the world, and it choked out the word. And then the good ground is that heart that opens itself to the word of God and abides and trusts and believes in faith and brings 30, 60, 100 fold. Nothing wrong with the word, nothing wrong with the preacher. The problem is the heart, the heart of the individual. One great mistake that men and women make is to think that they can come to God whenever they choose. Right here, I beg to differ. He says there's a set time. In fact, uh, Isaiah 28, 21 um, tells us that it, God's way to judge is really a strange way. He'd rather forgive. Judgment is a strange way that God forgot to act. In fact, in Ezekiel 18, 32 and 33, 11 says, Why would you die? Turn and live. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Live. In fact, the very last invitation, Revelation 22, 17 says, and the spirit and the bride said, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever thirsts, let him take of the water's life freely. And so the proclamation for resting and the completed work of salvation is available to all, isn't it? All. Pastor Xavier Reese, and rest for the weary in Jesus Christ. 
And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now, be sure you tune in for the conclusion of this important study right here next time as well. But if you won't be able to join in, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD for only $4. The title you want to ask for is, Jesus is Superior to Joshua's Rest. And make sure you share this ministry by passing on this study to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Once again, the title to ask for is, Jesus is Superior to Joshua's Rest. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. How much does salvation cost? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com